0: This is Dr. Kate Eckert with the Form, Function, and Flow Lab podcast. I'm a chiropractor, yoga instructor, anatomy junkie, and movement educator, and I am looking forward to exposing you to all sorts of ways that you can prehab your body to avoid injury and maintain those hobbies, activities, sports that you love to do. And we'll also be focusing a lot on the pregnant and postpartum journey and making sure that you can return to those activities that you love or even keep doing them while you're pregnant. All right, so we are here with um, Dr. Jennifer Mercier. Uh, I followed her work after I found out about her technique in A few years ago when I was at another visceral manipulation course and some of the other students in the course were talking about her work. And I just wanted to give that brief intro, which she's going to introduce herself. And she has lots of accolades and lots of different uh, projects
1: going on. So here is Dr. Jennifer. Good morning, Kate. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, as you said, this work is a visceral application and... I've been working on it now for uh, almost 25 years. I started teaching it in 2006 and have had nothing but great results since then Mm -hmm. um, from the, the people that I train to my own practice. I've written a couple of research uh, abstracts and had them published domestically and abroad. Mm -hmm. And uh, it never ceases to amaze who, who, the, who reads those and mm-hmm. how that information um, has helped so many and from the professional perspective of having um, those come to me and ask me, hey, how, how did you create this? How did you get this all in motion? And um, it's just, it basically was born of a need for my own stage four endometriosis Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, there were no good options to treat it other than Lupron suppression therapy or oral contraceptives, mm-hmm. and I never did Lupron. And I had three surgeries to clean up the disease.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I and I did try oral contraceptives back when I was in college because I had to do something. Yeah. And I didn't really know too much back then, so I I gained a lot of weight. I had. Wretched headaches from oral contraceptive pills, and um, it just wasn't a good. It just wasn't a. It just wasn't good for me, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel well. So, I started building this out of a need for my own for my own self. And uh, undergrad, I was pre med. I worked for the Center for Human Reproduction, uh, which was a large reproductive endocrinology and fertility clinic here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. I was trained as a clinician. So I was 19 and 20 years old, learning how to do an intrauterine insemination, semen analysis, pelvic Mm -hmm. ultrasounds, endometrial biopsies, Pap smears. Mm -hmm. I went into hysterosalpingograms and egg retrievals, embryo transfers. I monitored those cycles from start to finish. So it's a language I speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing much has changed today in reproductive medicine. It's all pretty much the same now. We have more drugs that are less potent as the ones we used to use Um, so and the and the numbers are about the same too they're not very good let's Mm -hmm. put it that way they're just not very good Mm -hmm. Uh, you can access the data yourself at sart s-a-r-t the society of assisted reproductive technology.org yourself there's preliminary data there from the last two years Uh, uh, data is usually a couple of years behind but you can go there and see the stats yourself and make a decision as to if you think IVF would be good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I, I am a researcher. I'm an ND PhD. I'm also a midwife. Um, I spend a lot of time researching and, uh, so information I bring to you is truthful information Mm -hmm. and I just want women to have, um, the ability to make good, good sensible option or choices for their care. Mm-hmm. And if it's IVF, well, then that that's their choice. Um, I tend to, you know, create a better environment, certainly in a woman's body help to create a better environment prior to going to IVF, because it's such a retro, mm-hmm. a treacherous, uh, journey through that kind of cycle or multiple cycles. But, um, it's ultimately a woman's choice to do what she wants to do. I was so surprised by the the documentary that you
0: produced with the how new, I guess I had never thought about how long has the fertility field been around. So that was kind of surprising to me how new it is. And then I had no idea what the actual stats were on how successful it is. So that was eye opener because you know so many of my patients and friends and everything spend a ton of money and that that is not a great percentage of what is successful.
1: Right. Right. I mean 22 to 23% pregnancy rate and a 19% live birth rate isn't great for mm-hmm. all of the things that you put your body through and for all of the money that you spend mm-hmm. on, on one cycle. I mean, and you could potentially do multiple cycles and put yourself into serious debt. Mm-hmm. And I've seen women refinance their home, sell their car, sell their wedding band mm-hmm. just to have the revenue to do more IVF, just to fail over and over again. It's, it's heart-wrenching, mm-hmm. honestly. And what they're putting their body through um, we don't know altogether long term what an IVF regime can do to a woman's health um, in the immediate time, but also in the longer term. And it it's actually a, a bit frightening to me because we're we're literally taking a cycle up uh, so high of estradiol to make multiple follicles and then we're dropping it down after the retrieval and then we're doing it again and again because now these clinics are urging women to bank their embryos
0: mm-hmm. so to go
1: in do an IVF make the embryos bank them so freeze them then do another retrieval cycle make more embryos freeze them and continue that until they have a decent amount of embryos frozen and then prepare the woman for an embryo transfer
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and then they thaw them two by two to see if they're going to you know, if these blastocyst embryos are, are going to withstand the thaw mm-hmm. and then they transfer them. But here's the other moral and ethical dilemma is let's say that a woman gets pregnant on her first transfer, two embryos transferred, both of them split. Now you have quadruplets and you have 10 embryos frozen. Maybe you only, maybe four kids is, you know, more than you'd ever thought. And you're good. You, you don't need any more babies. What do you do with those embryos? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you donate them to stem cell research or some sort of scientific research? Do you adapt them out to other people? Do you donate them knowing full well that your full biologic and genetic material is your children are somewhere out there with another family? Mm-hmm. So it's really there are a lot of components and working parts of IVF that need to be considered. And I am so thankful that we have it because there are some women that really, really need it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I mean, had a woman, um, I've had several scenarios, but this one comes to mind first and foremost, she was born with a um, a form of spina bifida that um, allowed for closure at the base of the spine, but she had a uterus that was unicornuate. So just one, mm-hmm. one horn Um, But both of her tubes didn't communicate with the uterus. So if the tubes don't communicate, then, you know, IVF would be technically the only way for her to get pregnant. Um, So there are cases that which we need to reserve IVF for. And then there are other um, situations where we're pushing women through IVF, like right out of the gate. This is like not first line stuff, guys. We this is big. This is. This is huge that we, that we rush right into IVF as the first line um, of trying to help someone get pregnant, but we're, we're not helping we're forcing.
0: Mm-hmm. Now we're
1: in a place of force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it good to force our body to do anything is the question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Actually my, um,
0: I I've seen that in my practice that it's happened with With some, and it seems like it's such a gray area. And the one patient I'm thinking of, they were with a, a fertility doctor that doctor suggested right out of the gate, like you're saying IVF. And then it, the first round failed. He retired. They moved to another doctor within the same practice and they looked at the her chart and we're like oh this is weird you should just do a round of clomid and and she got pregnant right away (laughs) so yeah it it's a such a gray area and it it's like you think that it's this um cut and dry this is what we do this is what you have it going on but you're gonna get just like with surgery you're gonna get a different opinion depending on what doctor you see so
1: yeah it's true true. And it's interesting to your point, um, your client or your patient that got pregnant with Clomid, um, there's also caveats, of course, with Clomid, because what we're really using Clomid and Femera or Letrozole for is ovulation induction. Mm-hmm. And there is something much more gentle that we can use, which would be um, ultrasound monitoring of the, follic- the follicular growth, mm-hmm. also LH testing at home, and then an induction of ovulation with an HCG trigger shot which is so much less invasive than using these estradiol inhibiting drugs.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Clomid causes poor fertile mucus. It, it literally causes a very acidic environment in the vagina. Uh-huh. And then almost always with, with Clomid, we should be coupling, not almost always, always, we should be coupling a Clomid cycle with an IUI, uh-huh. bypassing that vaginal environment altogether because it's inhospitable to sperm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have literally taken women down to bare bones levels of estrogen um, Mm -hmm. with Clomid and Femera cycles. And so right there, and both of these drugs, like a Femera is a drug that's an anti-neoplastic. So Mm -hmm. it's an an anti-cancer, breast cancer drug.
0: Mm -hmm. And we're
1: using it off-label for ovulation induction because we're tricking the pituitary gland into making more FSH while suppressing estradiol. Production, estradiol is, it thickens up the endometrial lining. It creates a good, healthy environment for the growing egg in the follicle. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: if we don't have enough estradiol at the beginning of a pregnancy, the baby will, or the embryo chances are, will implant, but not go any further than six weeks because. We are in deficit of estradiol, which is responsible for growing the vital organs of the embryo the heart, the brain, and the spinal cord. And so, if you start out at a deficit using a drug that's contraindicated with pregnancy, Mm -hmm. it it just, there's too much. It's too much like playing with puppets. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
1: like, let's see if I fine tune this one or this one to make this work. It's just a lot of messing around. And so that's why I really like that ovulation induction or trigger, I should say,
0: mm-hmm.
1: with HCG. I mean, that's benign enough. We make mm-hmm. HCG on our own. Using an HCG product is probably the lesser of of the two evils, mm-hmm. truly.
0: Yeah. Do you want to explain what how your technique helps with uh, better blood flow and what that means for?
1: Certainly. Yeah. Mercy therapy is a deep pelvic organ visceral manipulation. It helps to enable better movement, releasing restrictions in organs, in the reproductive organ system. Mm -hmm. And it also increases blood flow. And so blood flow equals life. I mean, I always use this example and you'll see it in my film. If you cross your legs, your foot falls asleep. Your foot is completely not like it's numb. You can't feel it. You can't stand up and walk around and bear weight on it, or you'd you'd fall. So what do we do? We uncross our legs, we gently tap out our foot, and then the pins and needles come. Mm-hmm. That restoration of blood flow back to the limb can be kind of a strange sensation and almost a little bit painful. Mm-hmm. And so that's the same as what happens in the pelvis when it's either a surgical pelvis and there's scar tissue there, kind of locking everything down in and locking it into place, or Mm -hmm. if there is um, a restriction of mobility in the uterus because of a fall or an accident, Mm -hmm. I get in there, we work very, very deep, and I manipulate the organs to restore their movement, which brings the blood flow back. Mm -hmm. So it can be a a tender process, but Mm -hmm. it's so great because as we keep working, and it's six sessions, six one-hour sessions, sessions—or If a woman is going to fly in to see me or drive in to see me um, for the four-day condensed shared journey for fertility program, we're working at least six hours. At least six hours is the is what I arrived at when I did my my study. Mm -hmm. So we're we're doing the work on in the four hour or four day protocol. It's ninety minutes a day for each day Mm -hmm. consecutively, but it can cause some tenderness, Mm -hmm. and you will be aware of the space because most women that are trying to get pregnant may have uh, a memory or, or or something in there of that area between the navel and the pubic bone that isn't quite settling, whether it be an unwanted sexual trauma or experience mm-hmm. or painful menstrual cycles or a pregnancy loss or an abortion mm-hmm. or a, a stillborn or whatever the case may be. It's something that's unpleasant in, in the memory of that space. I go right back in there and I flip the light switch on and it's, it, it, it starts this whole cascade of, of events, whether it be, you know, connecting up the pituitary and, and the whole pelvis again, to hear the, Mm
0: -hmm. hear the
1: calling of, you know, from the pituitary gland, Hey girls make some estrogen and they boom, turn on. And here we go, better Mm -hmm. lubrication, better, better ovulatory cycles. It's just, it's just really simple. Truly, it's simple work, mm-hmm. and that's what the body needs. The body needs like a gentle nudge, not pounding a thumbtack with a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. That never works well
0: for the for the patients that come in from all over. And you do that
1: condensed. Do you, do they have to come back, or do you give them stuff they can do on their own, or? Once the work is done, the work is done. Um, they do not have to come back. They're always welcome to come back. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, once the work is done, that's it. Now, if I'm working with someone who is going to have a surgery in the future, I would say, let's wait until after the surgery to work on you. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, the body's protective mechanism is to make scar tissue. Mm-hmm. And they'll, that will be in abundance again. So let's just wait until after the surgery. Now, if the surgery is going to be a big surgery and it, it follows all these little surgeries and we're going in to do a final cleanup, mm-hmm. it is a good idea to do the work prior to the surgery to make the surgery a lot easier on the surgeon. Wow. The less dense scar tissue that they have to dissect through, the less time the patient is under anesthesia and opened and what have you. Mm-hmm. So it can be used in, in both ways. Pre and post, it just depends on the case.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice.
1: And then, how long do you wait after surgery? Um, eight weeks. Nice. Six six weeks in some cases, eight weeks in most cases.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Now, yeah. with the you know, like I have a lot of patients that have endometriosis, PCOS, that kind of thing, and I. I've read in your stuff that your therapy also helps with those conditions as well.
1: Yeah. I see a lot of endo. I see a lot of PCO and PCOS. Um, Again, just helping to soften and break up adhesion uh, tissue in the, in the pelvis is it's miraculous. I mean, I have stage four endometriosis and Mm -hmm. my own work helped me to have two healthy babies. Mm -hmm. Had I not had my own work, um, I truly believe that, uh, that I wouldn't have babies. I mean, I was told by the third surgeon who operated on me that, and this guy's a friend of mine and he knows, he knows better than to push his IVF on me. And, and he did, he's like, no, 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 Really? everything does not look good in there. You're going to have to have IVF. And I was like, all right, I'll let you know when I'm pregnant. Thank you, though. And so I did. I did just that. I showed up in his office. I'm like, all right, flip on that ultrasound, brother. Let's see what's in there. And there <laughs> we go. I was pregnant. And it was after I had a group of my students work on me. Oh, okay. So I really believe in my work and you know what, if, if someone needs a little medical intervention, I'm happy to liaison them through that again, because I speak that language okay. and it's, and I teach my students to speak that language too. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a more advanced case, I, I recommend they come to me to see me, unless I've got somebody in their area, a geographical area to, you know, mm-hmm. that is just as well-versed as I am. But you also asked about PCO and PCOS. I see this all the time and I do the work, but then I also accompany with a bioidentical hormone and supplemental protocol. I, you know, I do my very best to help them understand dietary changes Mm -hmm. because of the precursor of diabetes um, for PCO, PCOS, Mm -hmm. mostly PCOS. Um, Sometimes I get diabetic women that have PCO already Mm-hmm. And they don't have very good control of their blood, their blood sugars. So we talk about that. Um, yeah, it's an all encompassing program. It's mm-hmm. like a, a holistic reproductive endocrinology and fertility program mm-hmm. um, without stepping on, you know, the toes of the medical industry. And I don't do what they do and they don't do what I do. So mm-hmm. it's, nice. you know, I was, it, it yeah. works well. I was
0: looking at you. Know you have the so if you're a provider, you have three different courses that you offer to healthcare professionals. Um, who do you usually get
1: attending your courses? Uh, physical therapists, massage therapists, chiropractors, napropaths, naturopaths, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, mm-hmm. physicians. Um, I do have a few unlicensed providers like doulas, childbirth Mm -hmm. educators. Oh, I do get midwives. Um, Mm -hmm. I had one Pilates instructor. I don't think anybody is off limits with this work. If they either have a license to put their hands on people Mm -hmm. or are just wanting to really help the women in their community, this is not a licensed, um, application. I mean, you don't have to recommend bioidentical hormones or supplements. Mm -hmm. I already have that all written out for them. If they want to recommend anything they, to their clients, they can buy it over the counter. So there's no, um, licensure scope of practice issues here. And mercy therapy is not massage. It's body work. Mm -hmm. It's an old traditional osteopathic type of manipulation. So, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a myriad of different people that come and train with me and I love it. hmm
0: Now, let's see. I saw the one course that you have is just visceral. So do you gear that more towards also some gastrointestinal stuff as well?
1: Yeah. The visceral course is all GI. Okay. It's all GI. And as of 2022, I will be combining... The um, three-day original course with the fertility certificate course, mm-hmm. so there won't be two courses any longer. It will just be one course. Okay. And I mean, it's necessary for for people that want to train with me to have both courses mm-hmm. because I tell them, you know, you cannot go out and use this work for women with fertility challenges if you don't have the fertility certificate. And mm-hmm. so, what's the point then, really? I mean, you want to be full scope. If you're, if you, if you just want to treat women or take care of women that have pelvic pain, well, that's one thing. But if, if the consumer is looking for someone who can help them with fertility and you don't have that, that course Mm -hmm. under your belt, then you're not allowed to use mercy therapy. So Mm -hmm. I want to make it so everybody has the, the full circle of training and, Mm -hmm. uh, and that will happen January 1st, 2022. Awesome.
0: Yeah, um, something on my list for. I, I did a lot of continuing ed in the past pre-COVID, and now like you know it was all online essentially for a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. It would be nice to do an in-person course again.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. And all of my classes will always have to be in-person. I mean, because we have to touch people. Yeah. So, so yeah. How,
0: how do you feel the connection? Like I do a lot of public floor style stuff with uh like DNS and that kind of thing. How do you feel that this pairs well with that kind of work as as well?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um I think that chiropractic and any other physical modality would be lovely against, you know, what we do in Mercier therapy. Um here's the thing though, to keep the work pure, Mm -hmm. I and if I ever called for data, and I tell my students this all the time, You would have to have cases only that you used Mercier therapy for, Mm -hmm. you know, if that was the study criteria. Mm -hmm. Um, So I say, keep them separated Mm -hmm. Uh, unless you've got somebody that has pelvic floor issues and you need to incorporate, you know, more specific pelvic work or pelvic floor work with Mercier therapy, Mm
0: -hmm. then you
1: could certainly do that.
0: Yeah nice. How do you find your your therapy works with like things like prolapses and stuff?
1: Oh yeah, really nice. Um because we're working directly on the ligamentous system in the pelvis and we're pulling the uterus up into the pelvis, um mm-hmm. retraining the ligaments in essence. Now mm-hmm. sometimes I do have women that have severe prolapse and I will ask their gynecologist to fit them for a pessary device
0: mm-hmm. while
1: I'm doing the work. So in, in combination so that we can really retrain those ligaments. Um, I mean, I've had some pretty severe prolapse, like women's cervix hanging out of their vagina Mm -hmm. and those are all already slated to be surgical cases from an, an obstetric and gynecologic, um, perspective, Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes we can help and sometimes we are not able to help, but it's certainly worth a try before going in and having uterine suspension surgery or having the uterus taken out altogether.
0: Mm -hmm. When they have a uterine suspension surgery, do you go in and work on post-surgery from that?
1: No, I don't really do much with that. I don't want to disrupt. Uh-huh. um, I don't want to disrupt. And, you know, most, uh, gynecologists aren't really doing that too much anymore. It's kind of the older ones that are mm-hmm. are accustomed to that, but yeah, I don't do that. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't want to interrupt. Um, this similar with a bladder sling. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of docs aren't doing bladder slings anymore either, but I will go ahead and work, um, You know, if it's an older case and someone's complaining of issues again or pain, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you're familiar with the documentary called The Bleeding Edge Mm -hmm. on Netflix, but they go over what mesh, surgical mesh does to organs over time. And um, I would really recommend that you watch it because some of this mesh is what they were using to build these slings and it would grow into the bladder Mm -hmm. And not be able to be removed in its entirety. So take a look Mm -hmm. at the bleeding edge. Um, And it goes into the Esure device, Mm -hmm. which was pulled off the market. I think uh, January 1st, 2018 is when it was pulled off the market. Mm -hmm. But that was the little coils that were being put up into the uterine horns to scar them over. And it was a a permanent birth control Mm -hmm. um, methodology. But yeah, it's been pulled off the market, which is great. Because Mm -hmm. those little coils, and if you've ever opened up like a pen, and -hmm. there's that little that little spring inside, that's Mm -hmm. what they looked like. Those springs, and they they were finding that those were breaking down inside of the tubes and migrating throughout the pelvis, causing terrible pain and um, all kinds of different scenarios that were perforating other organs. And wow, so it's a good one to watch. (laughs) <laughs> makes you definitely, uh, rethink, you know, like, Oh
0: yeah, this great thing. That's going to fix you, but maybe, Mm-mm. maybe, you know, and who can foresee 10, 15 years down the road, if it just came out, what it might be able to do to you later. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We're so I'm located in Pennsylvania. Do you, I, and I know, uh, Mercier therapist in Cleveland, um, Dr. Candace Kesecki. Um, yeah,
1: Candace.
0: I'm not sure if she's the closest one to our western corner of PA or not, but
1: there's two in Pennsylvania now as of um, April Leanne Skinner and Sandra Eusteris. Okay. And they're both PTs and they're both wonderful. And I'm happy to give that information. Um, to you. Candice is always great too. So whomever they're, you know, closer to um, can see any of those ladies.
0: Yeah. And I hope to take your course someday because I have been eyeing it up for years. So now that we're traveling a bit more, I will. And I like the idea that you said, you know, because taking time out of a busy practice to go do is difficult, but I like the idea of pairing the two because then it's, you know,
1: all it just- makes it a little more palatable to, to take four days from your practice as opposed to a full week mm-hmm. and uh, just condense it up. And, you know, you anyone who takes my courses always has my support via um, a Facebook practitioner group, mm-hmm. or um, of course, email. I'm always willing to help with different cases mm-hmm. because this is, again, it's another language. And if you don't speak it even just a little bit, it's going to mm-hmm. be going to be a challenge, but we need more people out there practicing mercy therapy. It's, we definitely, there's definitely enough women to work with.
0: Yeah. And I will put the link for your, um, your websites and your, uh, documentary that is so informative and really a great watch. And also you said you had a book coming out Yeah. or when is your book coming out?
1: we're just I'm just waiting to do um, one last meeting with my publisher, and then um, hopefully by October. But the book is called Conceive,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's very eye opening to what's mm-hmm. going on in reproductive medicine, but also on um, you know what we do and some stories are shared of couples that we've worked with, and mm-hmm. um, I'm actually really proud of my book.
0: Yeah. And I th- I think I heard this in your in your documentary, but I just wanted to, to point out your success rate because I was floored with it on the documentary.
1: Yeah. So in 2012, when I published my abstract, it was 83% and it still hovers around the same.
0: Yeah. That, I think
1: there are women that have failed medical attempts and they come in, they get pregnant
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, they're just absolutely shocked. Well, I've done six IVFs and now I'm pregnant.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Well, that was, uh, it was great
0: talking with you. I'm so glad we got to do this and thank you for your time. My
1: pleasure. Yeah. It's so nice to talk to you too, Kate. Thanks for having me on. Yep. All right. Have a good one. You too. I
0: look forward to working with you guys. And if you have any topics that you'd like discussed, make sure to comment below and let me know, because I'd be happy to share all the knowledge that I have on those issues.